Crime Scene and Cupcakes is an independent podcast created in the Anchor app, funded mainly through advertising. The podcast often has coarse language and disturbing content. Please listen wisely. Hey guys, it's Marianne with Crime Scene and Cupcakes, but today we are going to talk about Paws in the Law, and yes, this is going to be our last episode for a while, but I wanted to talk about my favorite subject just a little bit longer. Let's talk about the science and mystery of cadaver dogs. Five teams had spent 12 days searching the waters of Elliott Lake in northern Ontario, and they didn't find a thing. That's when the cadaver dogs were called in, and guess what? They just needed 15 minutes. Six young people had been making their way home from a night of drinking on an island when their overloaded canoe capsized. Everyone made it back to shore except for the 20-year-old Vinnie Yao. One of the volunteers called in to help search for the body was Kim Cooper, a founding member of the Ottawa Valley Search and Rescue Dog Association and the owner of one of the three cadaver dogs that were on scene that day in July of 1999. Her Malinois was named Piper. And Piper was perched at the front of the boat as it slowly trolled the searching area, sniffing at the water below. Fifteen minutes later, the dog turned to Cooper, let out a series of loud barks, and that was it. Piper was the second dog that indicated to that spot. The divers then searched the area and found Yao's backpack. The next day, they found a case of beer that they had had in the canoe. The day after that, they found his body. It was quite a find, Cooper said. Yet, at the same time, the dogs were absolutely positive that they had him. Now, we have this from an article that was written by Chris Oak from CBC News from that date of July 23rd in 2016. Now, not only can these dogs detect the scent of human remains under about 30 meters of water, they can also detect traces as small as a shard of bone or a drop of blood. They can also tell the difference between, let's say, a dead raccoon and a dead hiker. I always get people asking me, well, are you sure your dog didn't hit on a dead animal? The nose, no. Now, a lot of scientists still aren't 100% sure how they do it. And the training community, well, we're still figuring out how to train them most effectively. Most think an odor is made up of just one chemical, when in reality, it is made up of dozens or even hundreds of chemicals. This is said by Arpad Voss. Yes, you've heard me talk about Voss. I'm really into Voss. Voss is a research scientist at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. 
That's the body farm, y'all. Voss is a leading expert on decomposition odor analysis. He conducts his studies at the University of Tennessee's body farm. It's those of you who don't know, it's a research facility where human bodies are allowed to decompose in a variety of settings. So they will take, I mean, it's not just taking a body out into the woods and that's it. The body is taken to a lot of different settings. The bodies are frozen. The bodies are, we could talk all day. And if you let me, I would. He still isn't completely sure why dogs are able to track decomposition scents so effectively. But in a recent paper, which I loved and I've cited a lot, he narrowed it down to a few organic compounds unique to humans that may offer some possible explanations. They map hundreds of unique orders of decomposition in all its stages, and that could help with cadaver dog training and may even allow technology to replace cadaver dogs one day, which I hope never happens because I love my puppers and they love to work. Problem is only one of sensitivity, Voss says. Canines, I'm pretty sure, are in the parts per trillion detection range, and instruments are only reliable down to parts per billion. So, dogs per trillion, fake devices, only a billion. I'm not impressed. So, small numbers really make the grade. Potential cadaver dogs start their training as young as eight weeks, and they usually get certified around two years old. People go on and on and on about the breeds, and that just drives me crazy, because people are always, oh, got to get a shepherd, got to get a Malinois, got to get retrievers. Now, okay, I'm a big fan of retrievers, but it's because people, that's what people see when they think of law enforcement dogs. That's why you see so many, because people are attracted to those dogs when they think of that. But honestly, the breed is not that important. The dogs just need to be very energetic and very motivated to work for a reward. Now, only 15 dogs have qualified to work with the Ottawa Valley Search and Rescue Dog Association in the past 25 years. That's the one we were previously talking about with Kim Cooper. Kim Cooper has personally trained five of them. The most important part of the training is to expose the dogs to as many human remains as possible. Cooper said human bones can be ordered off the internet. Yes, you heard that right. Now, there are some companies with names like Skulls Unlimited and The Bone Room. They're loads of fun. Creepers beware. She occasionally gets access to the surface, be it a piece of carpet or some dirt, for example, on which a body was found. If you're really friendly um, with your local police department you can get some help and okay guys i need you to be prepared for this this is our most common training aid and it is the placenta which is donated 
They are donated to us by new moms. I'm in the habit of congratulating family members and in the second sentence saying, So, what are you doing with your placenta? Not creepy at all. So, you just pop a few placentas in your freezer and you're good to go. She said, uh, Kim Cooper has said, a handler will train a dog with the same odor source for approximately about six months, which is typical. So you want to get their odor acclimated about over six months, and then the dog learns the subtle changes that happen during the decomposition. It takes a little while to build up a solid stomach so that you don't get too disgusted with what you're hauling around anymore. So for those who have contacted me curious about it, remember that. Now comes the pig problem. So Mary Culp of the Desert Research Institute in Reno, Nevada, she's in the unique position of being both a scientist and a cadaver dog trainer. She conducted a study on the compounds of human decomposition compared to those of cows, pigs, and chickens. The smell of decomping pigs was least similar to that of humans. So we get a lot of that of people who say, okay, well, you can use a pig valve and you can use pig parts, so it should be the same. Guys, it's not. The smell of decomposing pigs, again, that's least similar to humans, which is a problem for cadaver dog trainers when they're in the UK because it's illegal to possess human remains there. So I guess we should talk why it's okay here in the United States, but that's a topic for another conversation. In the UK, they've been using pigs as a training aid for years, but as Kalp points out, if you have a dog trained on pigs, then all you have is a dog trained to find dead pigs. But then we come to our double-blind study. Such discoveries have played an important part in an ongoing professionalization of cadaver dog testing and training. In 2011, Lisa Litt, a researcher at the University of California, Davis, found out what handlers already know can affect the outcome of their dog's search. The study was done using dogs trained to find drugs and explosives, but Culp says that finding those findings divided the cadaver dog community. If handlers weren't using blind testing, and that's where the handler doesn't know the location of the target scent, or double blind testing, where both the handler and the test adjudicator doesn't know the target, then the dogs could simply be picking up on unconscious clues from the handler, not the scent itself. It's one of those things that, to a scientist, it makes perfect sense. But a lot of dog handlers are not scientists, so it really helps when you have one of each or one who has each, I guess I should say. Over the past five years, training bodies across North America have developed a more scientific approach to training and certification. 
In June, Kim Cooper took her cadaver dogs, Breeze and Grief, to Massachusetts to get recertified with the North American Police Work Dog Association. I mentioned that in, I believe, our first podcast. We were very excited this year because one of the training aids was an actual piece of skull. So we got to work on a human skull. She's from a place where that normally isn't available. Something new to put on our list of new things that we have done, Kim said. So people think that cadaver dog training is the same across the board. It is so different. And there are so many rules. And there are so many different things that people need to be familiar with. I get approached by so many people. I say the word so a lot, so I need to stop that. I get approached by a lot of people who have questions. And it's great. I love to teach people about this. Um, one of the things that is an awesome resource is the National Association for Search and Rescue. They have um, something that is called Canine Sartec, and that is where you can go and you can see the certificates and examinations of what it takes to have your animal certified. So I will put that on our social media page so you can see that and I'll put a link to that. So if you are curious about either getting a pup and training a pup or you have a dog that you're already interested in working with and doing some of these things, I'm going to put a link to NASAR so you can take a look and think, huh, maybe this is something I'm interested in or Holy shit, 2,000 hours is a lot of time. I don't want to deal with this. So, we don't have some specific dogs, but I guess we kind of do. Because we talked about Kim and her dogs and what they were able to accomplish in Ottawa. But I wanted to wrap up a little bit of the science with cadaver dogs. Because that's one of my favorite parts. I love talking about the puppies behind it. I love talking about what they do. And I love all of that. But I love the science that goes with it. I love talking about how the points of the body farm is so necessary. And there are, again, more body farms than just in Tennessee. There, I mean, you look at Rochester, New York. I mean, there are so many other opportunities. And then you need to look at, you know, so many different training aids that we have to utilize, so many different things that have to be done. So it is a very intricate science. There aren't dead bodies laying around that these dogs get to work with. And using the chemical odors that you can sometimes buy in the kit are not the same thing. So I just wanted to kind of give everybody a feel, a little bit of a peek in the door, you might say, of what that's about. I hope these little podcasts have been, these little bonus podcasts have been helpful to you. 
I enjoy doing them because it gives me that moment to totally geek out and nerd out about dogs and science a little bit. So I guess if I'm the only one talking about it and listening to it, that's okay because I love talking about it. But if it's something you are interested in, please drop me a line, send me a message so that I know that there are other people interested in the science and other things behind it because I would love to share more. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pause for Dogs and the Law. Uh, one more really cool thing. I actually had a situation taking my dogs out for a walk where they alerted. It's a little discomforting to me. I was taking my dog for a walk and one of my dogs alerted to an area that we've walked a hundred times over and the dog alerted. And out of curiosity, I went and I leashed up a different dog. And I took my dog just randomly walking around. And my dog alerted and did the whole, they, they do a figure eight and everything and alerted to the same spot. So I took a third dog. I took that third dog. And by then, the person who lived in that area had moved and parked their car over that spot and my dog was so interested and obsessed that they crawled underneath the car to get and to get to the spot now they've never alerted there before we have walked this route i take my doggos on walks all the time i am a little curious as to why they alerted to this spot. I am curious as to why the person who lives in that general area decided to move their car out towards the street to park over the spot that they saw my dog sniffing. And I want to keep you guys, whoever might be listening, up to date as to what might be going on because... I found it interesting and we're keeping an eye out because watching out for your neighbors and your community is what we all should be doing. So I did take, I, I'm not going to take video of other people's homes, but I do have a few videos of my dogs of when they alert. And also I did a video of Dinklage because he has the cutest nose. He's not a cadaver dog, but he has the most adorable nose you've ever seen in the world. And you will see that on our YouTube video. We have finally made one. I need to edit it. And so we will have a YouTube video to show you about olfactory receptor cells. Or And so we will have that YouTube up by this weekend. So have you take a look at that and we'll talk a little bit about the doggies and their sniffers. So thank you guys so much for spending a little bit of your Friday with us as we talk about dogs in the law. Have a good day.